Good morning, fellow exiles. Happy November. I've got a question I want to ask before we get started. We got an extra hour last night, and I'm curious. How many of you are those that, because you have the extra hour, stay up later the night before? And how many of you are those that take advantage and get an extra hour of sleep the next day? Kind of even. Okay, how many of you forgot all about it and just woke up and didn't change the clocks? Anybody want to admit to that? Done it. Done it before. Uh, my name is Tim Harama, and I am part of the teaching team at uh, Third Church, and we are in the midst of a series on exile and living in exile. And I've been uh, doing this teaching thing now for, I'm not really sure, a little shy of 10 years. And uh, I, one time someone asked me if I had a preference about a message that I'd like to give, what would it be? And this was early on, and I thought, you know, I'd really like to talk about how loving Jesus and accepting him as your Savior is a wonderful thing, but it doesn't mean the rest of your life is going to be peace and harmony going forward. Well, today's message is on suffering, so I, get, I got my wish granted today, and it's a heavy subject, so we're going to go dive deep, I think, in a couple areas there may be some uh, topics that are uncomfortable or tough, but I hope you'll give me some grace that I'm going to do my best to speak truth about this. And we're going to talk about how as exiles, we are to expect suffering and we are to choose to rejoice in our suffering. So one thing I've been taking away from this series as we've gone through this and thinking about how we as Christians are living in exile and how we are really the minority and others outside of our faith are the ones in control and doing things. It's changed the way I've looked at things a little bit and it's, it's really helped because instead of being frustrated about the way that things aren't the way I want them to be in the world, focus more about what that means for me and how I'm going to live my life within that situation and hopefully impact others. So the scripture that kind of covers this whole series is Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. And I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what that scripture reading says. Essentially, it's telling us that we are to live our lives and that our lives be our ministry. And that's what we're called to do as exiles. And today's reading is from 1 Peter for those of you who are using the Bible here from uh, the back, it's on page 1203, chapter 4, verses 12 through 9. So please hear the word of the Lord. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who are suffering according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So, newsflash, we're going to suffer. It's inevitable. They say death and taxes are the only sure thing. I'm telling you right now, suffering is right in there with it. So, we need to start out right there. You're not going to avoid it. It's going to happen. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, uh, said this. Try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existence of free wills involve, and you find that you have excluded life itself. Suffering comes from all different directions and all sorts of reasons and causes. It comes from decisions and choices that we make. It comes from decisions and choices that other people make. And sometimes it just happens. Earlier this week, a friend of mine asked me what I was going to talk about this week. And I told him I'm going to be talking about suffering. And he said, what do you know about suffering? Well, my friend is a Minnesota Vikings fan, and my first inclination was to say, I don't really know suffering the way a Vikings fan knows suffering. <laughs> By the way, my, one of my dad's favorite jokes was, you know how many Vikings it takes to win a Super Bowl? Nobody knows. <laughs> so, apologize for the Vikings fans, but, you know, it was a good question, because it, it really caused me to think about how personal suffering is. And what we suffer from is not always apparent to other people. And how we suffer, we all do it in different ways. But we don't really always realize that everybody has their demons. Everybody has their trials. We lose loved ones before their time. Or before we're ready for them to go. Health issues affect us and our families. Financial problems affect people in all lifestyles. Broken and strained relationships can hurt as much as any physical injury. Betrayals, setbacks, discrimination, bullying, loss of jobs, it goes on and on and on and on. There's always something else around the corner. And it begs the age-old question, why would a loving God allow suffering to happen to, its, to his creation? It's a question that leads a lot of people to doubt the existence of God. But we as Christians realize and know that God is sovereign. And because he's sovereign, he has control over everything. Ergo, as my old constitutional law professor liked to say, God can prevent suffering. But sometimes he chooses not to. And while sometimes we can recognize the work that God's doing in us when we're suffering, probably more often than not, we can't. No matter how much we think about it or process it or pray, we don't really understand why it's happening to us. Do you agree with that?
So the Bible has countless examples of how faith-filled people have experienced trials and ills. And probably the most well-known is Job. I think most of you probably know the story of Job, but Job for a while lost everything but his life. And God had a role in it. In Job 2, 6, we read, The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, Job is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Ben Sharp wrote an article, Does God Cause uh, cause Suffering? And I pulled a quote from it that I thought was very interesting. It may sound ironic, but through pain, we actually become more aware of our need for and reliance upon God. And again, my old favorite C.S. Lewis wrote, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Suffering brings about the need for healing. It provides opportunities to grow and it molds us to who we become for better or for worse. And if we begin to shift our thinking about suffering as it being part of God's plan for us, regardless of how difficult it is, it gives us the opportunity to start to look at it in a different way. Suffering is the result of man's free will and the sin that followed since creation. And it's like compounding interest. The further we get away from Eden, the more of an impact sin has in this world every year. It's also really important for us to realize and accept the fact that we are all sinners. Hard as we try not to be, we are. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We were sinful before we were born. We can't help it. It's who we are. And as God said to the exiles in Jeremiah uh, 4.18-19, Your own conduct and actions have brought this upon you. This is your punishment. How bitter it is, how it pierces to the heart Oh, my anguish, my anguish. I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart. My heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent. So as difficult as it is to say, if we accept our sinful nature, we cannot really say that we don't deserve to suffer. But as forgiven sons and daughters of God, we can be assured that our suffering is not without a purpose. Our suffering provides the opportunity for us to change. For the bad stuff to get burned away in the fire. For us to come out of it in a different way. And we can be assured by Romans 8.28 that says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we can trust, regardless of what we're experiencing, good, bad, or otherwise, 
God has a purpose in it. Being in exile in and of itself brings about suffering. If for no other reason than we are living in a world where most people do not honor and worship and love and praise their creator. Today is the International Prayer Day for, or the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And this week, Tom shared some articles with me that, that uh, depicted some heartbreaking stories throughout the world. In China, churches of all denominations are being persecuted and actually literally being demolished. And they've even started to demolish these churches while services are going on. In India, Americans... Christian Americans are having their passports taken from them and they're being jailed and then they're set free but they don't have their passports and they can't go anywhere. In Iran, they are demolishing Christian churches. They are kidnapping children and women and all across the world, people are losing their lives every day only because they're Christians. And we think we have it rough. Suffering is real. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And as much as I hate to be the bearer of bad news, we're going to experience it for as long as we're living on this earth. So buckle up, buttercup. So what are we going to do about it? How do we respond to the inevitable suffering that we're going to face. That's the real question that we have to deal with. Because we can't prevent it. We can't avoid it. So what are we going to do about it? The way we handle it is vitally important because the way we deal with our suffering impacts our lives. It impacts our health. It impacts our bodies. It impacts our relationships. It impacts the way others see us and deal with us. Our friends and family our fellow church, our fellow, fellow exiles, and even those outside of the church. There are multiple ways of dealing with suffering, and what we really want is healing. We want relief. We want to be refreshed. And unfortunately, a lot of the ways that we respond to and deal with our suffering are not healthy. Now, I'm, I want to get into something here, and I want... Be careful that you do not hear what I'm not saying. There are one of the ways that people handle their suffering is through medication, either the prescription variety or the self prescribed variety. And I know there are times where medication is appropriate and beneficial. But I want, I want you to hear some statistics that I found rather interesting. Let's talk about antidepressants. In a 2017 study, it found that 12.7% of all people in the United States, ages 12 and up, took antidepressant medication in the previous month. That's a 64% increase in the percent of people that are taking those drugs 
since 2000. 19.1% of adults over 60 took antidepressants in the previous month. One in five. Women are two to three times more likely than men to take antidepressants. And whites are two times more likely than African-Americans to take antidepressants. Prozac and Zyloft are probably two of the more common known antidepressants out there. One quarter of the people that take these drugs take them for a decade or more. One in four. And taking these drugs creates a 14% higher risk of heart attacks and strokes than those who don't take them. And a 33% higher chance of death than those who don't take them. And these, med these medications negatively impact growth, digestion, and your body's immune system. This is according to a 2017 journal of psychotherapy and psychosomatic study. And according to one study, doctors misdiagnosed two-thirds of the patients with depression and prescribed unnecessary antidepressants. This was an addiction center study from 2013 that said only 38.4% of those prescribed antidepressants met the MDA criteria. Let's talk about alcohol. Probably the most common, but not only, self-prescribed medication for our pain. In 2017, 26.4% of people in the United States ages 18 and up binge drank in the previous month. That's over one quarter. And 6% of that age group admitted to regular heavy use of alcohol in the previous month. Get this. 14.1 million Americans age 18 and up have alcohol abuse disorder. And 184,000 males aged 12 to 17 have alcohol abuse disorder. And 259,000 girls between the ages of 12 and 17 are alcoholics. Four out of 10 prisoners say that drink was involved in their crime. Eight, in the United States, each year, 88,000 people die due to alcohol-related causes. That's number three behind tobacco-related causes and diet or inactivity-related causes. And treating alcoholism in the United States costs more each year than treating cancer. Today in Chandler, Arizona, this afternoon, there's going to be a memorial service for a man who was 55 years old. This is a man who 12 years ago, someone would have asked him, what do you know about suffering? This is a man who was a college graduate, was intelligent, had a family and three beautiful children. But he had pain. 
over the course of the last 10 or 12 years, he became chronically addicted to alcohol. He was arrested for drunk driving so many times. He spent over a year in Sheriff Joe's tent city prison in Phoenix, Arizona. He had a business that was probably worth a couple million dollars at, at least that he lost. He lost his wife and his family. In the last year or two, his eyesight started to go and he became legally blind because of his alcoholism. He lost his teeth, his hair turned white as snow, and two weeks ago, my friend died. This is an example of how dealing with suffering can damage so much. Not just your own life, but his family, his children, his, co his, his business partner. And, and, and the friends of us that are left behind are faced with a real tough situation because for the longest time, at least me, I thought it was just his own weakness, you know? We, we put him through rehab, he went through jail, he did all these things, but he couldn't kick it. I had no idea how bad it was, really, until he started losing his sight and he still couldn't stop drinking. So that's an example of how not to respond to suffering. How do we respond the way God wants us to respond to suffering? Well, from our reading today, we see that we are to rejoice that we participate in the sufferings of Christ so that we may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We are told that if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 says, We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Rejoicing in sufferings. It's not just those Christians that understand that our sufferings can create positive things that come out. I read an article in Psychology Today which said this, post-traumatic growth is about accepting the trauma as a part of who you are. It's about accepting that it can change and evolve who you are, which is why you shouldn't fixate on putting the pieces back together exactly as they used to be. It's also about realizing that how you view the world can change, as can your experience of some of your relationships. All in all, it's about acknowledging that personal growth can be found from the suffering that comes from trauma. How many of you can think of a time in your life where a challenging time or pain has 
ultimately provided a blessing somewhere. If you haven't, you will. Now, I'm not saying that dealing with suffering is easy to deal with. So, <laughs> this is, I'm talking to myself here as much as anybody else in all this. There, as Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to mourn and a time to weep. And there's an appropriate taking of the pain and crying out. And I'm not also saying that we can just flip a switch and all of a sudden have some happy, snappy way of dealing with our sufferings. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. And it's going to take time. But there are some things that we can do to help us start down this path of dealing with our sufferings in a way that God calls us to deal with them. First of all, acknowledge it. Don't hide from it. Don't put up your Dutch front. Acknowledge that, you know what? You're in pain. You're suffering. And make sure that you believe that your pain and your suffering does not mean that God does not love you. I'd argue that your pain is an indication that he does. And we're assured by Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So spend time with your creator. Talk with him. Let him know what you're feeling. Share your pain. Share your frustration. Share your anger. But praise him and thank him for it. Easier said than done, I know. Another thing that we can do is write or journal. Even psychologists say and recommend to people who are, who are overcoming trauma, that they should spend 15 minutes every day writing. Don't worry about spelling. Don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about grammar. Just pour something out on the page or on the computer screen if you journal on, on that. I, I'm not good at journaling. It's a struggle of mine. But Mark Verkler, who wrote a book on the steps of hearing God's voice, lists journaling as one of the most important ways to hear God's voice. Because through our pouring out of our soul, God speaks to us. And as difficult as it is for me to embrace this discipline, I can tell you it's true. And when you're ready, reflect on that, what's going on with you. Reflect on the process. Reach out to those who might be sharing some similar experiences. Or look for ways to turn this around and, and help others. Mitch Album, who is a sports writer, has become an author. And he wrote a book called Have a Little Faith. 
And in this book, there is a, a friendship that develops between a Jewish rabbi and a Christian pastor through a variety of circumstances. The rabbi in the story, when he was younger, lost a daughter suddenly to a, a really unknown illness. It was almost like she was alive one day and dead a week later. And for the longest time, he carried around the pain of this loss. It was so heavy on his heart that he almost questioned his faith. And for the longest time, he didn't understand what God had done and why. Until one day, later on in his ministry, a young mother came in who had lost a child. And he was able to minister her in a way that his study and, and experience on the pulpit could not have prepared him for. He was able to relate to her authentically. And he saved a soul, he believed, through the process. Last month, there was an officer in Dallas that was uh, convicted for murdering someone. And during this officer's sentencing hearing, the victim's 19-year-old brother took the stand and testified. During a sentencing hearing, you hear from different people that say what they want to say that then the judge uses in consideration of what the sentence is. And this brother of the victim, this 19-year-old man, said that he didn't want this police officer to go to jail. He told her that he loved her and he forgave her. And he got up and asked the judge if he could walk across the court and give this officer a hug. And he did. And he embraced this officer who killed his brother. And there were protesters outside of the courthouse, as you can imagine in today's world, that were angry and passionate and and wanting justice. And when they found out about this, a calm came over the crowd. Most of you have probably remember, it's hard to believe it was back in 2006, but the uh, shooting at uh, West Nickel Mine School. It was an Amish one-room schoolhouse where a man came in and shot 10 students, killing five girls, and then turning the gun on himself and killing him. Do you remember what happened next? That very night, three members of the Amish community went and met with the widow of the killer. And another member of the Amish community met with the father of the killer. And they spent time in tears and conversation and forgiveness and embracing. Parents of the slain Female students invited the killer's family to the funeral and memorial service. And as money poured in to the, for the victims of this shooting from all over the world, this Amish community took a substantial amount of those donations and gave them to the widow and the children of the killer for their education. And when a fund was set up in the community for the killer's family, 
some of the biggest contributors came from the Amish community. How? How are they able to do that? What kind of impact do you think these people had in exile? What are the ripple effects? How many people saw God for maybe the first time? Through pain. Just a few examples of how people dealt with their suffering well. So I'm going to call the worship team back up. I've got to be honest with you guys. I have struggled with a great way to tie this message up in a bow, and I just don't really have it. Because suffering is personal. It's heavy. And it's not an easy thing to deal with. And did you want to come up here? Come on up. Absolutely here. Thank you for your words. I echo. And when you asked if I want to speak, talk, I don't. But it's really heavy on my heart, so I'm, I'm going to. I wear a lot of hats, as a lot of you do. I know suffering, as you do. I know pain. I also wear a hat as a nurse. And I really feel heavy on that, and that's why I'm really up here today. You beautifully spoke that we can't just, um, umbrella of mercy, the antidepressant thing, and, and that's what my heart is right here. That's the hat I'm wearing right now. I'm a nurse. Uh, I'm I have 25 years of being a nurse. I've done hospice, med surge, emergency, and currently I'm a, I'm a um, mental health nurse. I work in a locked psych unit. So I don't want to gloss over. I can't gloss over and just let you walk out of this room without a couple words on that. Don't stop your antidepressant. Don't walk out of here. Don't let any guilt or shame on using an antidepressant. Because the other thing I know, and there's a beloved doctor over here, the other thing I know in suffering is that we don't walk alone. We never walk alone. God puts godly people in your path. You need godly counselors. I got Matthew Birch back there, who's walking with me. I see Gina Jansen. And so you lean on godly counsel. Because I work with people that are in my care because they're suicidal. And I see people turn around from a mental health condition once they're back on their medication. And I'm not saying 
everyone needs medication. In fact, when your statistics, I said to Mary, who's a nurse with me, do you think those numbers? And we both said, we thought they'd be higher. We actually thought the antidepressant use would be higher. I'm not here to judge that. I just know my heart is I can't leave you here without knowing that it's okay. And you lean on godly counsel, you lean on godly counselors, godly um, pastors, godly physicians, and we walk together with a God who loves us. Thank you. I got my ending. <laughs> I'll leave you with one more word of scripture. I said earlier that when we're in pain, we seek refreshment, we seek healing. Proverbs 11 talks a lot about things like this. And chapter 20, or verse 25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So if you pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the way you work. The way you work through people the way you work through your word, the way you work through our pain. I ask that you pour out your peace and blessing on everybody here and everybody worldwide that is suffering for whatever reason. Help people to see you in all of this. Help people to address their situations in the most appropriate way, Lord. And help us be available to help others. In your son's name, amen.